Today on episode 102 of the Computer Tutor Podcast, Bad Computer Habits. Are you guilty of any of these? And on Scott's featured podcast today, the Seishindo Life Tools Podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Computer Tutor, tips, tricks, and advice from a computer pro without all the tech talk. And now, here is your computer tutor, Scott Johnson. Hello and welcome back. This is The Computer Tutor Podcast. I'm your personal computer tutor, Scott Johnson. And if you're new to the show, I think you're going to like it. You know, everyone has a computer and everyone has those times when you just want to throw it out the window. Personally, I don't recommend that approach, except as a last resort, maybe. Here on this podcast, I try to show you how to do things on your computer that you hopefully find to be actually useful. Or in the case of today's episode, some of the things you might already be doing and you need to just knock it off already. I have a computer repair business here in the Tampa Bay area, and if your computer has a problem, I'm your guy. That's because I can fix most computer problems remotely. So if you need help, just give me a call, 727-254-9078, or email me at pctutor at gmail.com. And today's computer tip can be seen at my website, that's over at computertutorflorida.com forward slash 102. So let's get started. Everyone, myself included, is guilty of having some bad computer habits from time to time. Now, since I work with other people's computers on a regular basis, I have a chance to see the things people do that they really shouldn't be doing. In a lot of cases, they don't even know that they're doing something wrong. It's just the way they've always done it. And there are some people that pretty much know that some of their habits are bad, but, you know, that's the thing about habits. Sometimes they can be hard to change. This is going to be a two-part series. I'm going to cover four bad habits today and The other four, this coming Monday, a week from today. All right, here we go. Bad habit number one is using weak passwords and using the same password on more than one account. I'm sure this is not the first time you've heard this. Certainly, I've mentioned it previously on this podcast and on my blog. One of the reasons people think it's no big deal is because they come up with a password that's something like, you know, the the city they lived in 20 years ago and then they add on the birth date of their cousin or something. The logic is that those two pieces of information are stuff that no one would ever know about them, so no one could ever guess it. But that's the wrong way to think about it. No hacker is going to try and research your life and figure out your dog's name or your kid's birthdays or the places you've lived in the past and, and try to come up with a password from that information. In fact, no hacker is going to try to manually guess it at all. They have software that does that. A simple little program can try thousands or millions of combinations of words and numbers in a very short period of time. One of the common methods is called a dictionary attack. If your password is a word that can be found in the dictionary, they'll get it very easily that way. Just remember these basics. If it's short, like four or six characters, it's a bad password. If it includes a dictionary word, it's a bad password. If you can look at the password and pronounce it, it's a bad password. 
The best passwords are just random numbers and upper and lowercase letters and maybe some characters thrown in, like a dollar sign or pound sign. If you can't memorize it, a hacker is going to have a hard time guessing it as well. Bad habit number two is doing a Google search for a website when you already know the actual website address. This one kills me. I see it happen all the time. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, here's an example. There was a guy I used to work with, and I saw him do this many times because this was just the way he had always done it. If, let's say if he, if he wanted to go to yahoo.com, here's what he would do. First, he would open Internet Explorer, and then up in the actual address bar at the top, he would type google.com. That, of course, would bring him to the Google search website. So in the search box, he would type yahoo.com and click the search button. That brings up a page full of search results, and Yahoo would be usually the first one listed. So he would click on that, and that would take him to yahoo.com. This would just have me pulling my hair out. That has got to be the most inefficient way of getting to a website that I have ever seen. It's like calling a taxi to pick you up when your destination is like 10 yards from where you're standing. Of course, if you don't know the address of a particular website, or you're just going to do general research or something like that, well, you would, of course, use Google search to try to find what you're looking for. The other thing is when you routinely use Google to bring up a known website address, it can be kind of a dangerous thing to do. The hackers and the scammers know that a lot of people search that way, so they create websites that match those searches. So sometimes when you just blindly or out of habit click on that website that comes up at the top of the search results, you could instead be clicking on a malicious website that infects your computer with a virus or malware as soon as you click on it. Now, if it's a website you visit pretty regularly, don't even type anything in. Just make it a bookmark or a favorite. Uh, or you can even set it to be your home page if you want. But anyway, if you already know the actual website address, you don't need Google at all. Just type the address in the address bar at the top and hit the enter button on your keyboard. Bad habit number three is ignoring the error messages that your computer is showing you. A lot of times people will call me and tell me that they just can't stand seeing this particular error message that keeps coming up on their computer. Now, in most cases, they can't tell me what the actual error message is because they didn't write it down. But what they can tell me is roughly how long ago it started showing up. And a lot of times, it's a matter of weeks or even months that they've been seeing this error. That's bad. By waiting that long, you know, before something can be done about it, they've eliminated some of the potential solutions in solving the problem. That's because if I can get to an error soon after it pops up, a lot of the time, I can remote in and take care of it quickly. But if a few weeks or a month or two has passed in the meantime, it can be a lot more difficult and time-consuming to diagnose that problem and fix it. That means ignoring a problem probably makes the solution more expensive for you. The bottom line is this. When you see an error message on your screen, write it down and either find the solution yourself or tell me or whoever your computer tech is, and let's get it fixed before it becomes worse. And finally, we have bad habit number four, and that is storing files and folders on your computer's desktop screen. This is something I see a lot, and it's something I've been guilty of myself, too. 
This one is kind of easy to justify because maybe you have a folder full of files to use for business, like a set of contracts or some other set of documents, and you know you want to have quick, easy access to that at all times. So the desktop makes the most sense because it's always right there in front of your eyes and available with a single click of the mouse. Problem with this habit is that the desktop area of your computer isn't designed for storage. If you have a few things there and they don't really amount to much as far as the total size of the data, then it's not really a big deal. But what usually happens is you start to get in the habit of storing everything there, your pictures, your documents, anything else you want to be able to access quickly. And over time, as that accumulates, your computer is going to slow down. Now, the good news is there's a way for you to have that same one-click access to all your important stuff without having to actually store the files and folders on the desktop. All you have to do is put the folder in one of your storage folders, like the Documents folder or the Pictures folder, or whatever makes sense based on what's in it, and then create a shortcut to that folder and put the shortcut on the desktop. So the only thing on the desktop is the shortcut. It's just an icon instead of the folder itself. So when you double-click that shortcut icon, that folder is going to open up right there in front of you just like it always did. But it's no longer stored on the desktop, and it's no longer slowing down your computer. So what did we learn today? Use strong, unique passwords. Use the address bar when you know the address of the website you want to visit. Don't ignore error messages and don't store files and folders on your desktop. And if you need any help with any of these, just let me know. And for this week's featured podcast, I want to tell you about the Seishindo Life Tools podcast. Seishindo is a Japanese word, and the content of the podcast is based on the Seishindo core principles. The tagline for the podcast is, Sensible Solutions for Life's Everyday Challenges. And on the website, they describe it by saying this, Each podcast addresses a specific challenge that most of us come across in our daily lives, along with step-by-step pragmatic guidance on how to achieve the solution you desire. By listening to our podcasts, you will receive insights on how to improve your relationships with others, maintain a solution-oriented outlook, and feel more emotionally fulfilled. Each episode's about 30 minutes, and they usually do an episode like every couple of weeks, and pretty consistently, which is good. I like that. It's co-hosted by two guys named Charlie and Tony. And here's a clip that is just a few minutes from a recent episode. Body Media presents a Seishindo Life Tools podcast by Charlie Badenhop and Tony Paget. Welcome everyone to the Seishindo Life Tools podcast, where we offer you sensible solutions for life's everyday challenges. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how to overcome occasional insomnia by becoming more emotionally calm and physically relaxed when it's time to go to sleep. Being emotionally calm and physically relaxed are the two key things to sleeping well. For today's podcast, we thought we'd have Charlie walk you through a process you can use when you're having trouble going to sleep. So we suggest that you might want to choose a time 
to listen to this podcast when you can really relax and you aren't doing anything that requires your attention. As Charlie likes to playfully say sometimes, please don't listen to this podcast while operating heavy farm machinery. (laughs) Do do I have that right, Charlie? (laughs) Yes, that's one of my favorite quotes. And before I get into the tools uh, for today, let me begin with some theory about how thinking can get in the way of sleeping. The reason being that whatever you think about affects your emotions and your body. So the first point I want to make is that, in my experience, most of the time when people are having trouble sleeping, they're thinking about situations that they aren't confident about, and they might even be thinking of things that frighten them. Or, for instance, they might be dwelling on a relationship that's not going well. There are, of course, times when we're excited about things, and our excitement keeps us from slowing down, but most often, I believe, we have a bout of insomnia when we're worried or frightened. This is one of those podcasts where not every episode is going to be of interest to every listener, like this particular episode, actually. I've never had a problem with insomnia, so I probably wouldn't listen to that one all the way through. But there are some I found helpful. I wouldn't necessarily agree with all of the Japanese principles of Seishindo, but there is some good practical advice in a lot of these episodes. You know, and for me... I kind of find Charlie's voice kind of pleasant to listen to. He's always very calm, and he seems to be speaking from um, a place of confidence and knowledge about whatever the topic happens to be in that episode. If you'd like to check out the podcast, you can find it on iTunes just by typing the word Seishindo in the search, and that's spelled S-E-I-S-H-I-N-D-O. Or you can go to their website at seishindo.org. And what about you? Do you listen to a podcast or two that's maybe not all that well-known? I'd love to know about it and maybe feature it here on this segment. If you know of a podcast like that, let me know. Please call my podcast voicemail line at 727-386-9468 or email me at pctutor at gmail.com. And that will do it for this week. As always, I'll see you back here next Monday morning with another computer tip. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Computer Tutor Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to contact me with a question, a comment, or a suggestion for a future topic, you're welcome to do so at my website, computertutorflorida.com. And while you're there, sign up for my free Monday morning email newsletter. If you have a computer problem, give me a call at 727-254-9078. In many cases, I can take care of a problem remotely, so it doesn't matter if you're here in Florida, up in Maine, or way out in California. I'd love to help. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. God bless.